Hello, I'm Simon Farrell-Green, and I'm the editor of Here magazine, and we're delighted to be bringing you this series of wonderful New Zealand houses, along with our friends at Altherm Window Systems. Over the next year, we'll be talking with top New Zealand architects about a recent design, learning how it came to be, and why the people who live in it love it so much. We'll have beautiful videos, lovely photographs, and some great yarns. But we're also going to feature a podcast with each project where I get to chat with the architect and hear the story behind the design. It's a chance for us to sit down at length and hear the full story. From the city to the country, from large and luxurious to small and clever, I hope you'll follow along with us as we explore these wonderful New Zealand houses. Down a long driveway in the inner city suburb of Ponsonby in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, you'll find a bit of a surprise. In a street replete with pretty wooden villas, all fretwork and frill, the family home of architect Clive Chapman of Pacific Environments Architects is a striking house built from raw concrete and vertical cedar, a pitched roof form that's more industrial than Victorian. It's quite the contrast, and what's more, the place has some serious environmental credentials. To tell us more, we're joined by Clive Chapman now. Hi, Clive. Hi. Welcome. This is um, this is quite the spot. Tell us a bit about 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 it. When when did you buy it, and, and what was here before? It's it's a magnificent site. It is a magnificent site. Um, we saw the property in two thousand and seven, and first saw it. It had come up for auction, and there was a nineteen uh, fifties house on the site. And that had been the first house that had been put on this site. Um, a lot of these back sites in Ponsonby were industrial and larger, on this particular street anyway. And uh, this particular site was owned by the Ministry of Education. And um, they decided at that point that it was surplus to their requirements. And they held a lottery for uh, ministry employees to see who would like to buy it. And the people we bought it off were the son and daughter of the original owners of the house. So we're only the second people to live on this property. That's amazing. So it's a, it's a you know, 120 year old piece of land, yeah. but it's only really had two two occupants on it, and only two different families. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> what did you, I mean? What did you think when you first came down the driveway to see it? Because well, I mean, you just don't find pieces no, of land this big in central Auckland. It was overgrown and quite wild when we when we saw it for the first time. Ivy covered all of the uh, fencing and uh, some of the house. And uh, the backyard was full of, uh, of bamboo and uh, other grasses. And, uh, but my wife, who grew up in the Coromandel, just looked at it and went, yep, I'd like to live there. feels like when I grew up. And um, though it's only four blocks away from our previous house in Grey Lynn, it's very, very different yeah. as a piece of land. Yeah. I mean, so you mentioned that, that this, these, these big back lots were, were industrial. Tell us a little bit more about that, because it's quite an interesting yeah. sort of forgotten bit of history, really. So places like Ponsonby would have had all of your local um, companies within the, within the suburb. It wouldn't be like you drive off to Great North Road or anything to do that. All the local people who worked often worked right in the suburb. The uh, adjoining property was a um, was a car yard for many years where they repaired cars, and we've dug up bits and pieces of, of cars and repair gear in our backyard over the years. Now, of course, it's got multiple townhomes on the property. Um, it also it also attracted uh, 
places that needed larger sites. So we've got the large church on our, our street. We've got a mosque right opposite the church. We've got a, a seminary. We've got um, multiple now. Of course, we've got multiple multifamily dwellings in the backs of the properties. And it's just quite a mixed bag down the street, which makes it really interesting. Mm. But of course, all these back properties are fronted, as you said, by the little villas mm. that front the street. It's, it's really quite deceptive. Mm. And I mean, I'd driven up and down this road for years and not known, I guess, had a sense of what was what was down the back exactly. behind. Yeah. It's, it's amazing the distance between this and the next street that you yeah. just don't perceive. Yeah. So when you came to design a new place, presumably, you know, the council would have liked you to design something sort of faux Victorian and, and uh, kind of a faux villa, really. That would have been their preference, I'm sure. At the time we designed it, it was classified as Res 1. Right. So technically anything that anybody could see needed to respond to the white picket fence sort of look and feel. Um, when I put in my uh, statement of effects to the council, I argued that it was a commercial, that these back sections were commercial sections right. and the buildings that would have been here would have been tin sheds. They would have been very inexpensively built, gabled roof, tin cladding. Mm. And I said, well, you know, what we're doing is very similar. It's got a it's got a gable roof, it's got vertical cladding. Okay, it's cedar, it's not tin, but... Um, and in reality, I got two pieces of pushback. One was that you'll see it from the street, and we just, having the ability to do a 3D mock-up, we just took some photographs from the street and showed how much of the house you would see, which, as you know, because you've driven down the street, is not that much. You see a little bit of a peak of the eaves, and that's about it. And, we, and they also came back to us and said, we would prefer you to do white horizontal cladding. And I said, no. And they said, okay. So that was, you know, that was, it was a very feeble pushback on that particular one, which was really good because there was no reason for this to have horizontal cladding. As, as you know, nobody can really see it anyway. Yeah. So, so that, but then you, you've, you've got quite a sort of an industrial palette here. Was that, was that a response as well to that history, to that sort of... It was quiet? both a response to the history and a personal like. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the feeling of, you know, you see old... Um, commercial buildings that have been refitted to live in and things like that and I quite like that feel of of it being an old commercial building though it's not I've used many of the aesthetics with this one but I haven't used it to the point of putting in anything that wasn't needed everything here is structural I mean the beams and all that aren't here just so I can look at some steel beams they are the beams that are holding up the windows and the walls and the doors and the second floor mm. and um the concrete is ser serving a very good purpose for us here it um it uh, creates a really good thermal sink um, for the winter and summer, so the whole environment feels very neutral all year round. Mm. So tell us a bit about how the design works and what, what you were trying to do. You've got a, you know, you would have had a pretty young family through that design process. So what, what does the house do and what was the sort of the driving force behind it? Yeah, the driving force was for our, obviously for our family. We didn't, desi we didn't design this building for anybody but us. So living on the site and, and living with the environment, you sort of learned to know what you wanted from the building as it evolved over time. And the design did evolve. Some of the sketches I did way back in like 2007, eight, I look at them today and go, what was I thinking? <laughs> but it's, it was really about connecting us with the, with the property. It's a beautiful property. It's a lovely place to be outside. And so I wanted a house that was as much porous as possible so we could really just be inside the house but it's still at the same time outside the house and we do like to entertain we've got friends that we have around every weekend and so you know there's usually 
nine to 14 of us and the main living dining kitchen area had to open out to the patio and had to just form one uh, continuous environment shall we say and to absorb that many people um, since we've bought the house and or sorry built the house we've also done a couple of parties for various um, staff of both myself and my wife's businesses we had a leaving due here just before lockdown and we had 55 people here for a cocktail party and with the doors open even though it was kind of a miserable outside day we had some heaters on the patio and we moved back some of the furniture and basically everybody can mingle in the space and so it so it has served its purpose very well for us. Mm. One thing I noticed is you've you've pulled the house right to the top of the site. Tell us tell us a little bit about that because you've got a, you've got a really big bit of land, but it mm. does sit it does sit quite close to that back boundary. Yeah, it does, and uh, in fact, we pulled it all the way to the back boundary uh, with a garage that we put in between ourselves and the neighbouring property. And the reason for that is both. I mean, technically, it makes sense. The you arrive at that end of the site, and to, if we were to put the house at the other end of the property, you'd have to go down the, bat, the the hill, shall we say, to the property. So it worked that way, but it also allowed us to naturally create a two-story house where you, you arrive at the top part of the house with the cars and you can park them, but at the same time, guests can just walk down the steps to the main entrance to the house, and it feels very comfortable and... It, it's part of what makes it good. It's it's inoffensive from the street. You don't see much yet. As you know, there's a large two-story house here, mm. and you can hardly feel its presence. Yeah, and then when you're inside, when you're down in this main room, down and you know it's really bedded in. It feels really yeah, really kind of sort of sheltered in and yeah. hunkered against the ground. Yeah, I mean, considering we've got 14 neighbours, you don't feel like you're you're being looked at by mm. a lot of people. Mm. I mean, partially that's how much planting we've got going around here which is really nice, but it, it just makes you feel like your own, own little oasis, even yeah. though you're, you know, 200 metres from suburbia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you were saying before, originally you were going to reuse the old house. So just talk us through that. So, so this, this room that we're sitting in here was going to be a new ground floor with, yep. with the old house sort of yep. repurposed on top. So the original house that was built on this site was also linear and... Uh, we looked at renovating that house and what we decided to do was to build, they had added to that house over the years and they'd built a, an undercroft space which was very poorly constructed. And so we built, the actual main house itself was built of fairly decent timber and things like that. So we designed the house based on the idea that we would raise the first floor of that house, build underneath, drop it back down on top of this house itself on this property and uh, extend it out and reclad it. Um, so on that grounds, all of the steel in this lower floor area is set up so that it'll accept the spans of the joists of the original house. And partially that is just a sustainable ethos of our company that, you know, all the things you can do, you should do. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, it wasn't technically possible in construction. So at that part, we at that point, we started to reuse everything we could of the original uh, pieces of that house so the rafters all the joists were supposed to be reused not that all of them did get used in the end but were set up to be reused all of the flooring was reused for the kitchen we'd put new insulation in the house and we put that on trade me and got people to come in and take it all out we put all the doors the windows the hardware anything that was any value we we made sure somebody had had it 
and in that way we we made sure that as much of the old building was reused as possible Mm, so those, those, those the, the, the things with the, the, the pieces of the house that had value got, got repurposed. You didn't just put a digger through it. No, we didn't. Put it in a skip. No. Yeah. We tried very hard to make sure that we put as little into the skip as possible. As is true with all houses, some of it ends up in the skip. Um, I know the roofing iron all went really quickly. As I said, the insulation went very quickly. Light fittings, people wanted them. So, you know. Amazing. It was great. Amazing. Tell us a bit more about some of the other environmental things in the house, because it's, it's pretty high performing, isn't it? Yeah, it does perform very well. As, I, as we've said, the bottom story here is all concrete, and you get a lot of um, thermal modulation from that because we get the sun coming in in the, in the daytime, but the house is still cool from the evening. So during the summer, it, it modulates the heat, mm-hmm. whereas in the winter, it does the opposite, that... You, the sun actually heats the house while you're out and so when you come in in the evening it's a lot warmer than it would be usually mm. so that's a very very um easy sustainable feature that doesn't you know require anything to run it but on top of that we put in we needed to do some water retention but we oversized the water tanks and they're underneath the garage and those are plumbed into all of the toilets into the washing machines and all the exterior mm-hmm. hose taps um we've got 20 solar panels on the roof so those are all connected into a battery backup system Um, we made the walls oversized in the upper floor so we could stuff more insulation in than we than would meet would have met it met code at the time and uh, same thing with the upper with the ceiling space it's super insulated as well Mm, mm. so you've got you've got aircon slash heat pumps in here but i understand you don't really use them we hardly ever use them. We just, it, I mean, when you lo- you're down here and it's warm, you just open the doors and the natural ventilation just takes over and you just don't need to turn them on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just so pleasant for having the, the air flowing over you that just makes it great. Yeah. Yeah, so along those lines, even in the winter, we don't use the heating very much. Mm. We've got a high-performing wood, wood burner down here. Which uh, and a lot of wood from those trees that we've removed over the years in the backyard. Mm. So we just like that when we get home in the evenings and that's it fantastic yeah i, I saw your axe sitting there yeah very yeah. prominently some way um uh, i lent lent the house to some staff while we were away at christmas to bring their kids around and they they, they texted me he was like we've put the axe away <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting in the living room here tell us a bit about the ceiling because that is that is quite striking and i guess a bit of a relief as well from from that quite sort of gutsy palette yeah i mean I think in this living area, we've got concrete and steel as the, and, and glass as the main three materials that you see, but then that's been tempered by the natural timber products that I've got in here. Uh, as discussed previously, we've, we've we used all the old flooring mm. to create the kitchen cabinetry, so that's all the matai was lifted for that. So we've got a, a back wall that's all timber. And then on the ceiling, uh, when we were designing it, I was, we needed something that performed acoustically. Right. Because it's quite a... A hard surface space in here if you get like 55 people in here it would be hard to hear each other talk mm. and speak so i used a, a commercial product a, t- a um, perforated timber panel with an acoustic backing and acoustic insulation behind as the ceiling material right and in this case we uh, i designed it myself with a pattern that um, is 
is uh, respective of one of Frank Lloyd Wright's um, block houses, block patterns. It's, it's actually lovely. from the Stora house. Yeah, it's lovely. And it's it's just a pattern. I, I really appreciate what he did with those those block houses, and I kind of like the the idea of using it. So um, the company that made these did these for us, and actually. There's about seven different sizes of panel up there, but be, that, that was, of course, because they had to fit between the steel, which was based on the rafter side, the joist size of the previous house. But they've done a, they did a brilliant job. Yeah. Um, we had one test pattern, one test panel done, which we, which showed us the errors of our ways, and then the other twenty-six all came in and were. Yeah. fitted beautifully so that just kills the that just kills just the noise the and sound, yeah, yeah it's quite noticeable yeah because we don't have a lot of soft furnishings in here as you see yeah you know one couch one one throw rug and that's about it yeah 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 tell us a bit about the doors in here you've got a really big spread of um apl architectural series windows and doors from Altherm. that that's that's quite a striking sort of wall of glass really well yes it is but it's also a wall that can can move as well I mean, the whole idea was this was a, an, an outdoor room. So during the summer, in reality, we just treat the outdoors and the indoors as one space. We push the doors back and it just allows us to transit between the two spaces. You know, if it's a bit sunny outside, we'll eat on the table inside, but the air is flowing over you. You just feel like you're under a louvered roof or something like that outside. So it really creates that connection that we really wanted. And also, obviously, with the beautiful backyard, it's great to just sit here and see everything out there moving around. Even if even if it's pouring with rain outside, it's just lovely to be able to sit here and watch everything that's happening. That's fabulous. But then you've also got screens. You've got so you've got the sliding screen here, and you've got the cage mm -hmm. upstairs. So just talk us through the sort of thinking behind behind those two bits. Yeah, I mean, the sliding screen is something I've used before in uh, our previous house, and we found that. Um, we didn't want curtains. I don't like the idea of curtains. They don't, you know, there's, there's places for curtains, but a, in a living area, I'm not, not a big fan of them. But there are times in the day that the sun will get to just such a place that it creates a, a nuisance. So the sliding panel allows us to just adjust, slide it across the windows to whichever part of the, of the room we want to utilize that it's causing an issue. Just occasionally when you're cooking late in the afternoon, you might want it nearer, nearer the kitchen end. And sometimes if we're sitting down to watch TV in the living room part of this area um, the, and the sun's just at the certain time of the day, you just need that extra little panel to, to um, protect you, mm, <laughs> to mm. give you that shade. Yeah. And then you've got, tell us about the cage upstairs because that's, that's sort of a bigger version of that idea. It is a bigger version fabulous. of that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ideas that I had was a lantern. And so... If you go down to the back of the property and the lights are on in the house, and this was true of the previous house as well, it felt like it was a lantern lit up, especially if it was just the top floor because the, the bottom floor would be dark. Mm. And so I was thinking about that lantern and how it would be in, you know, often with the lantern, there's a screen across the lantern. And so we, I sort of have taken that idea and created the cage, which is fully open both on the front and on the base to allow a lot of airflow to go through. But it allows us to open the big, huge doors up in the living area upstairs all year round because it doesn't get rain in there or anything like that. And it also is very secure and it can let the hot air out in the summer and it keeps the house very well ventilated, which is really nice. Mm. And it just makes a really pleasant feel. Yeah, it's lovely. Been in the place a couple of years now. Um, how have you found the different spaces work? How does the house sort of move through the day and, and sort of accommodate, you know, the various things that you as a family do? 
Yeah, I suppose um, probably move around a bit in the house, which spaces we we occupy depending on the day, the time, and things like that. Um, to be honest, we live in this downstairs living kitchen dining area most of the time. I mm. mean, um, it's it's got the connection to the outside. It's it's where all the the family gather and things like that. The children's rooms upstairs are really big and spacious for them, which is great. And that means that they've got their spaces to go to when they're working on their different things, whether it's school or my son does a bit of comedy, so he used to be up there writing his jokes and things like that. So we've got discrete spaces where we can go. We've got a little office here behind the kitchen, which proved a godsend, obviously, because the last year we've basically... I've basically been working from out of here um, uh, my wife, not so much, but she's she's an essential service worker, so <laughs> she's been able to go out. But um, we really f- felt sorry for those people who were locked up in houses that weren't as easy to live in as this mm. one over that that period. Mm, interesting how the sort of the cracks in people's homes, I think, appeared. You know, the, those little faults that you can cope with. Well, you I know, mean, for for an hour at the end of the day type thing when you're in it 24-7 really come to the fore, don't they? Yeah, I think um, space is a really... I mean, okay, it, it's something that... It's really an honour to have as much space as we have, but I'm I've, I've obviously running an architectural firm. We've got a lot of people working from home, and some of those would have two children or three children and two adults trying to all work at the same time mm. in a house that wasn't designed to have those spaces because their offices and their schools were designed to have those spaces. Um, I think in the wintertime, we tend to stay down here. Mm-hmm. We thought we would use the upstairs living room more in the winter, but yeah, we actually right. use it more in the summer. Interesting. And so Interesting. that's changed over the time. You get, we've probably because you get that, that lovely airflow. Yeah, it's lovely and breezy up yeah, there. Yeah, lovely a, late afternoon sort of. It's also a little more enclosed than down mm. here. So if, if it's really sunny... So we thought in the wintertime we'd use it because it's more enclosed and it's almost like a snug or whatever you want to, term you want to use. Yeah. Or So we'd use the upstairs, and, uh, but in reality we found that we just like to, that we like to be able to look at the fireplace in yeah. the winter. It's really a beautiful visual. It makes you visually warm. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. But uh, we carefully took the, the flue up through the, um, up through the living room in the second floor so that it warms the living room up there mm. as well in the winter. What were you most nervous about? with it design wise or construction wise <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess both but probably yeah. design wise probably what was what was the thing that that worried you as you went through that design process i'd often worry a little bit about burying a house so i mean at least one third to one half of the lower floor is buried mm. and so you've got to get the detailing right and even when you get to the detailing right, the people doing the installation have got to get it right. And even when you think both of those are right, sometimes they're not right. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's one of those areas where as an architect and a designer, you do everything you can to make sure you've done it correctly. But there's always that little bit of a niggling worry mm-hmm. that if something goes wrong, it can go. You have to dig out a lot of stuff to make it go right again. Yeah, it's an expensive fix. Exactly. It's not just <laughs> it's not just whipping off the weatherboards and putting some new ones on. Yeah. What are you most proud of? What's the thing that you think is the most successful about it? Uh, the most successful thing is the fact that our family just love it. And we it is proved to be everything we wanted it to be. And all the things we put in because we thought they work have worked for us. I mean, there's always some things you can go, well, maybe we should have put that in, but... It's not nothing, there's nothing that we didn't 
put in that we now regret in a major way not doing. So uh, I think that, to me, is success. And I think with, with our other projects in the office, one of the things I always like to see is the end user's reaction to it. And I think when they're really enjoying it, then you know you've done it right. Mm. Are you ever leaving? No. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has said categorically no. <laughs> no itchy feet. No itchy feet, no. <laughs> That's brilliant. Which is, which, which, is, which is horrible for an architect. You sit, they go, well, what can I do next? <laughs> Not around the house. That's fantastic. That was Clive Chapman from Pacific Environments Architects talking about his own family home in Ponsonby, Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, a new house inspired by the forgotten industrial heritage of the area. Thanks for joining us, Clive. Thank you very much, Simon. Thanks for joining here and our firm as we explore these great New Zealand houses and chat with the architects who brought them to life. We'll see you next time.